Friday afternoon deploy is written in light jQuery. for another episode and it's just just alan and i this time it is yep just the two of us yep like that will smith song <laughs> we couldn't con anyone else into uh saying things with us nope nope just just us today um mm. blake's out doing some, the weather's too good is what it is yeah i know for a fact that sloan's on a mountain bike right now yeah because he, he brought he, it up to the office <laughs> to gloat at us <laughs> yeah and then, and before he left, told me that's what he was going to go do. So yeah, yeah, yeah. He he sent me a. I'm I'm out for the rest of the day on a bike right now, which is way better than deploying code. The right thing to be doing on a Friday, especially with mm. good weather. But the downside yeah. is everybody's out having fun. Yeah. Uh, so just just us today. We'll uh, we'll talk about we'll talk shop. I like it. Yeah. Um, you know, like we could handle the pressure. I feel like. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm back, which is good. Oh, that's yeah. You weren't here, uh, here last week. I was I was traveling home. I was on an airplane while you guys were recording. Mm. Uh, so you didn't want to be that guy, huh? No, remote him from the airplane. from the airplane. God, wouldn't that be like that? Would be next level uh, <laughs> narcissism. Yeah. Well, like uh, you know, I, I I know I know just from from knowing you and being around you, you haven't done a lot of air travel. This is true. Uh, I've done a lot. Okay. And yeah. there is, um, you, as you will find, uh, there there are uh, some certain archetypes of people mm. that are on every flight, and mm. there's always a handful of people who are just on the phone, like as they walk down the jet bridge while they sit, they sit there and talk for the whole twenty minutes that you're doing the safety demonstration and pulling back until the moment that like the flight attendant comes by and is like, "Sir, you're violating federal law," you know. <laughs> And then finally, uh, they they turn their phone off. And then the second they touch down, I mean, like mm. on as soon as like the back wheels hit the runway, they're like, "Hey, no, I can talk." And just just they're uh, if you're one of those people, stop. Yeah, just stop. Everyone else on it. the airplane it's not that urgent. Whatever no, it is, I'm making money right now yeah. on this airplane. It'll they wait. say it's okay. So what what kind of next level douchery would it be for me to like hop on the GoGo in flight Wi-Fi? <laughs> And be like, hey, everybody, I'm on an airplane, <laughs> yeah, you know, and, yeah. and podcast from the plane. That'd be fun, though. That would be. That'd be fun being that prick. But. Yeah, yeah. If, if you totally planned to and had intention to, yeah. Uh, there, there's a bit on Letterkenny, uh, I think fifth season, maybe, if mm. that's a season, uh, that they, they talk about that, where they bring up, like, I was in the bathroom the other day, and a guy had his phone up on the top of the urinal, like... <laughs> What what is so urgent? <laughs> that's that's a real thing too. Yeah, I have seen that happen. No yeah. spoilers, by the way. I'm still like way back in season three. Yeah, yeah. You know that's come up a couple times on the show, um, and I think it bears mentioning that that is a favorite amongst the around the office. And if you haven't seen Letterkenny, that is a really great. Uh, it's a Canadian uh, comedy on Crave TV. I guess is a Canadian mm. channel, mm. Uh, but it's on Hulu now. It wasn't for a while. Yeah. We had to we had to find it through. Uh, I promise legal means uh, every time we watched it before, but now it's on Hulu and we can all five seasons or six seasons, how many there are. Yeah. Uh, That's a great show. It is, uh, 
I would describe it as some really bizarre intersection of Trailer Park Boys and a Kevin Smith movie. Mm. Is that mm-hmm. accurate? I, yeah, I, that could uh, that kind of paints the picture. The, the, the it, dialogue is very Kevin Smith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It, it feels. You know, like like monologueish. Everyone kinda. speaks in monologues, and especially like the first episode, right? Which which Tyrell's the one that brought it to us, yep. and 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 so he showed us that episode, and immediately I was like, oh, it's like Clerks, it's a Canadian Clerks mm-hmm. kind of, because they're around the the food stand, the produce stand, yeah, yep. selling selling food on the roadside, and just you know talking about life, chore, and then and such. It's uh, it's it's a pretty good show, um, and I I need to get more caught up on it, but. There's there's been several references to it on the podcast, so it's about time that it got enough attention that it made it in the show notes. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I'll be there. You should totally check it out. We, uh, yeah, we here here at Friday Afternoon Deploy. We we uh, endorse Letter Kenny. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Curators Hour. Uh, <laughs> well, um, you know, since we don't have a we don't have a guest to come in today, mm. and. Uh, you know, usually we kind of put the responsibility on our guests to pick a topic yeah. and say, like, what do you want to talk about? That's uh, what we do as good hosts. Yeah, we talk a lot. So mm. uh, when, 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 when a guest comes to, to sit in with us, we, we give them the choice of topics and, and what's interesting to them. And since we don't have one, um, we're also lazy hosts. We don't have one either. Yeah. Uh, but I do have, there, there's, there's, uh, there's always stuff going on and always stuff that, Everyone's been looking into, so we're gonna talk a little bit about just the kind of the, the stuff that uh, we've got going on and the things we've been looking at, uh, new stuff in the tech world. There's no shortage of it. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know what you've been up to this week, Alan. Um, well, you know, I'm I'm living e-commerce life, mm. uh, and and so that's that's been kind of fun and interesting to to go back and and look at. How that's evolved and, and changed just in the last five years. Yeah, you know? totally. Um, quite a bit has has changed there. Stripe, for instance, uh, actually makes that really great too. I am such a huge fan of Stripe, mm-hmm. and I've used a lot of payment processors over the years, mm. starting with old school, like direct with like the PayPal's. PayPal had gateway. some. Yeah, they had the payment gateway, and they had this uh, IPN instant payment notification. That was this mm-hmm. thing where basically they didn't call it that at the time, but it was basically web hooks. Mm. So send the here's a form, a mm-hmm. button on it, and put an action on the button. That's the URL. That's the web hook you want us to send a post request to mm. when the payment is completed with some status information about it. Gotcha. So you just. Put this that, that the, you remember the little yellow button like buy yeah. with pay with PayPal or whatever that's yeah, what yeah. that was mm. and it would take you to their site and and you know that would just be a little hidden field with where you wanted your <laughs> callback to be and that's where they would post back the information it's called IPN and then there was like BrainTree became mm. like okay now we have some proper integration tools and um, you know PCI compliance stuff where yeah. That's a big deal. Card numbers get turned into tokens, and and they can be reused and recurring payments. Braintree was pretty cool for a long time, and it's still out there doing its thing. Speaking owned by PayPal now. I uh, I don't I don't remember the name of of the the old school Django. Maybe in Django, I know it's Python for sure. This this e commerce platform, but that made me think of it because the, P, the PCI compliance. No, it's I, it's a different one. I'm pretty sure. Um, Mag- I, Magento. <laughs> Magento's PHP. 
Yeah, no, this this was definitely Python because I, I found it on Stack Overflow looking up some stuff, and uh, somebody had, had pointed uh, to this guy, and I went and looked, and and you know it's officially archived in GitHub and everything, and I I think I know why as soon as I was digging into the guts of it of like oh how do they do e-commerce you know right. Um, well, they were storing credit card Poorly. information. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, ah, yeah, not going to do that. I, I was going to suggest maybe it was Django Shop, but it, uh, it may have been. I'm I'm looking at if that's archived, then that was probably it. Um, no, it's not. This is updated mm. like a year ago. Oh, okay. For what reasons I don't know, but yeah. there it is. I haven't, uh, I haven't looked at that one yet. It's it's definitely uh, not not a standard these days in Python mm. and Django e-commerce. Um, gotcha. Oscar is a big popular one. Yeah, um, that's the one that's been around the longest. Probably mm. it's the most enterprising. And then there's new players like Sailor, which is really cool. Yeah, Sailor's we, looking good. I, I like Sailor. I like the look of it a lot, yeah. but uh, it unfortunately. Um, is is not well uh, supported for multi shop, yeah, multi multi, multi tenant environments. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. one shop per domain. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, you, you could set up multiple domains, um, but the idea of like having shared reporting and shared databases across multiple stores, having users within just those stores, not a concept. And we're using. Uh, Shoop. Shoop on this yeah. one. Yeah. Um, not not as impressed with Shoop, though. No, you know, I mean, it, and what we're doing is pretty specialized, uh, you know, with, with some of the some of the stuff that we're doing over over API. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it it looks like it it will be cool, but it's it's doing so much or trying to do so much. It, it aspires to be cool. It aspires to be cool, and and so it's doing a lot of things kind of okay. <laughs> you know, but but nothing, not one thing really great. Like I found the API, uh, you know, isn't isn't quite there yet. So it it definitely got us started, and uh, and we've we've bolted so much on top of it um, that we're practically using our own app mm. now. It's it would be a matter of kind of going back and refactoring um, some some data models in there to to use our own and, right. and pull theirs out. Uh, so, so we're probably going to keep using it for a while anyway. Um, we're, we're, we're in there. It's one of those things that you get enough momentum. It's, it's, uh, you can't, you can't, uh, change the tires on the car while it's going 70 miles an hour down the freeway. Exactly. And especially when you're working with another team, you know, we're working with a team out in California that that's doing the, the front end work. And so, you know, if it was all internal, that could maybe be. You know, more feasible. Right. But you also got to get the other team on board, and they're going to be looking at us like, "What? Why?" Well, like, you know, I, I don't know that we've ever um, really talked about it, but but something that is really interesting about um, really interesting about that project is that the front end is very unique. Yeah. Uh, in that it is not a web front end. Right. It's actually uh, an iOS and, and mobile app. Uh, game client. Yeah. Uh, certainly, we're not the first people to do uh, e-commerce backend for a mobile app, but most web development organizations and web developers working on e-commerce are doing it for a traditional web application. Right. We're so, we're working with a Unity app. Yeah. Basically. So that's uh that's that's different. It and, is and pretty unique. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so that that's been you know kind of fun to it, it makes you kind of look at a little bit lower level than than you probably would. 
Um, I have uh, screen shared and looked at some C sharp code uh, to figure out, you know, how we need to serialize the data exactly, and, right, and all that. So, yeah, that's been interesting. I'm going to pause to just complain about the low quality of our live stream. Look at that. That that is crispy. We are back in 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 2004. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So uh, for, for, for those of you listening to the podcast, uh, we do occasionally, not always, not consistently every time, uh, live stream our recording of the show, and you can see our ugly faces. Hello, everyone. We sound better than we look. That's right, uh, which is why the podcast is more popular in the live stream. But if you want to check it out, you can subscribe to us on YouTube. We're out there. Come find us. Uh, and hopefully the quality is uh, better than it currently is the next time we do it, because it's pretty bad. Mm. Uh, but uh, oh well, yeah, yeah. So so come find us and 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 uh, look at pixelated versions of our faces <laughs> while we record the show, and shake your fist at our ISP. Yeah, <laughs> Cox. <laughs> uh, not getting a sponsorship from Cox. No, uh, that's just as well. I'm fine with that. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> we have a great municipal fiber carrier here. Mm-hmm. We need to get on that here at the office. I think that'd be. Uh, yeah. The A plus. Yep. This is the straw that broke the camel's back. It's not the client work. It's not the stuff that pays the bills. It's the live stream of the podcast. Yeah. Um, well, that's cool, man. I, I, that, that's such a unique project because of that. You know, the front end side of it. And e-commerce is interesting and evolving a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's always neat. And there's a ton of tooling out there for it. Mm. Um, some of it's a little newer, and, and and but a lot of that stuff has been around for a long time. And, yeah. And and. There's a lot of long-running products in e-commerce. Even though the the landscape changes, the frameworks just continue to update and move over time. Most of them, at least. Yeah, the, you know, because the idea is the same, and that's how I've I've got some history in retail. I mean, and who doesn't in Arkansas, right? Right. But uh, yeah, so it, you know, it's just kind of taking those those physical ideas and and how do I make this digital and do it, you know, not in person, basically. So, so that hasn't actually changed, you know, that much. Still, still got a lot of the same old problems. There. Right. Yep. Uh, you know, I, I haven't, um, I haven't been doing e-commerce lately, um, but I did a lot in the past. I mean, it's mm. like it's one of the oldest, not the oldest thing on the internet, but like we started doing e-commerce pretty quickly. We kind of figured out, like, we we did we did BBSs, and we had like, you know, mm. here's how we. Publish <laughs> static information. All right, mm-hmm. we kind of figured that out. Then we started figuring out communication. Yeah. Um, also through the BBSs, but then yep. email and other things like that. Mm-hmm. And then there was like, well, what else do we do with it? And it was like, I guess we could buy shit. Yeah. Uh, and so e-commerce is is pretty. I mean, compared to other services that you can do and, and other things, which is everything now is online, right? Obviously, but yeah, um, e-commerce came along pretty quickly. So you have things like Magento, which people still use for God knows why. It's it was terrible when I used it over a decade ago. We've been using it for years. It though. was over a decade old when I used it a decade ago. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, We've been yeah. uh, Magento was around in the mid '90s, and that's why it's still kind of around. Oh, I didn't realize that long. Yeah, ago. yeah. Well, mid to late '90s, right, somewhere right. around then, and yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I, I used it pretty early in my career, and and uh, begrudgingly, but it's <laughs> it's still out there. People are still yeah. there's a lot of e-commerce that runs on it, and I yeah. assume that it's kept up. I don't know if it's kept up, but I assume that it's been updated. Yeah, it's you know moving. I imagine, yeah, but uh, still making money for people. It's there. it's interesting stuff, and that's why I think this project's cool because of the the sort of headless nature 
of an mm. e-commerce app to to build it through APIs and things like that. Yeah, to- totally even, different. Even the mundane, we find some way to yeah. make it like not <laughs> not so mundane. That's right. <laughs> so I've not been on that. I've been on this like totally other place. Uh, um, yeah, you have. Yeah, tell us about that. And I've I've been going in and and look, just a bunch of different products and and kind of piecemealing some stuff together. Um, and we just we announced today actually. Um, are two new managed services that mm. that Lofty's offering. Um, so we're uh, our, our company is is now offering managed services for um, customers who we've built applications for, as well as external customers for apps we didn't build. Um, managed application performance and reliability services, as well as managed application security. So our team. Uh, monitoring applications for their performance and uptime and performing incident response tasks in the event of an outage or uh, bugs and, and those sort of things. And that, that's on the reliability side. And on the other side, on the security side, uh, you know, uh, again, 24-hour monitoring and incident response to security events. And the way we're able to do that is through uh, automation. Mm-hmm. As much as possible, it's a human-powered system, obviously. Um, but so, automating the eyes—that's right, automating yeah. the eyes so that that it, that human-powered system can be that we're not staffing, you know, teams of people in three shifts day and night, but instead that you know we can have on-call alerting systems, and in the event that you know, basically, how do we filter out noise, find a real incident, and then call people right mm-hmm. to to alert them to it? And uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Building out the systems for that, um, it's not a perfect system yet, but it was kind of amazing what we were able to put together with um, off-the-shelf, I guess, products or, or mostly off-the-shelf products with just a little bit of glue mm. in between them. So I'm looking at a, a whole bunch of different stuff. Um, yeah, from from you know APM tools mm. to um, uh, automated. Uh, Alerting, uh, phone calling, things like that. And um, we use PagerDuty for a long time here. A lot of people use PagerDuty. Yeah, super popular. When I first started building it out, I used PagerDuty, mm. and then I and then I stumbled upon Opsgenie by yeah. Atlassian, which is pretty slick. Yeah, and I think we're going to end up going with. It. I'm on a trial with it right now, but it's it's pretty handy. Yeah, so far it looks good. Looks good to me. It's it's in that you know uh, Atlassian. Ecosystem, but it doesn't look like a Jira app. Well, I was gonna say it's it's in the ecosystem, but it's not built into Jira, so yeah. it's not like you don't randomly click a button and end up in some other fucking app, <laughs> going like where am I? And all my navigation changed. Uh, there's no contextual navigation. It's it's self-contained, and every button you click on, for the most part, except for their Twitter feed, keeps you in the app. So that's nice. That's my one complaint about like Jira and stuff like that is the great tools, but man, the navigation is awful. Yeah, I mean, it all looks the same, and and I guess that's the idea. But yeah, yeah, I would just really like when when we're working around in Jira, and I click on something that opens in Confluence, just open a new tab with a different color scheme, mm-hmm. so I know that I've left the application because that's that's the weird thing about Jira, and and we are using Jira Service Desk for mm-hmm. these products, so that's like. Just another type of Jira project <laughs> that all the navigation changes when you're within that project, mm. uh, and we're using Confluence for documentation. Um, but like, it's just really hard to tell where one of those products ends and the next begins. And, yeah. and then you have all kinds of configuration at the project level. And then you have configuration at the system level, and all you have to do is like click a tab right in front of you under the project to suddenly be in the system level documentation and like have left your project. <laughs> it's, the navigation's bad. 
But and everyone, tons of people use these products. Everyone knows the navigation's bad. Yeah, Opsini doesn't have that problem because it's all self-contained. But it's it's pretty cool. Um, and if you haven't used tools like Opsini uh, and PagerDuty, um, they're, they're essentially um, event-based alerting systems that let you set up on-call rotation schedules and escalation policies. Uh, and configure when when some sort of event happens. They ship with a lot of different integrations, whether it's like AWS CloudWatch uh, monitoring tools or Pingdom to check if a site's online, like tons of stuff. Uh, it'll send off in an event, and that event gets assigned to a team, and then within that team you can have different policies about what do we do when the events of this level, who do we call, or do we email first and then text and then call, and then if those people don't answer who do we call next? And you set up all these policies, and you make a really great incident response, mm-hmm. like automation tool out of it. And so it is so is Opsini the one that has like the the quote unquote war room? Yeah, in it? yeah. yeah. That's well, a on their enterprise plan, um, Opsini has uh, basically like a a hosted. So what they do is like you can set up in your incident response plan. Uh, uh, you can set up. Um, what they call them conference bridges. Mm. So you can set up a bridge, and that can be like a physical bridge. Like mm. the conference bridge for this incident is automatically this physical phone number and, and whatever telephony services you use at your organization. But you also have virtual ones, and the virtual ones are just like kind of your standard, um, your standard web conferencing. Mm. Um, you've got screen sharing, video, and chat, uh, and. Uh, what's cool about it though is it's associated with the incident. So when an incident goes off and your phone starts ringing, you can just jump right in and say, "Jump into the bridge," and everyone that's working on the incident, you get this virtual mm. war room experience, yeah. uh, which is cool for remote organizations, but also just in the middle of the night. Not that I really want my camera in my face in the middle of the night, mm. but uh, as far as like the the voice conferencing part of it, to yeah. have that experience, you know that, and it gives you a, a chat interface there too. Yeah, and, and also in, in Opsini, a way to like <coughs> notify stakeholders, mm. and so you can actually send stuff out to your customers or your internal stakeholders if you're using it for internal projects. Uh, and so that that's all really neat. So I've I've been messing with that, and um, and then like gluing systems together. It has integrations in some places that we needed, but in other places we needed to get alerts from systems that it didn't have integrations for. So I've been building like um, you built uh, something in Chalice. Yeah, I, I've stood up a Chalice project, which we've talked about in the past. But essentially, uh, it's like Flask. It's written in Python, open sourced by AWS, and it's kind of like the serverless framework. It yeah. just deploys to uh, it deploys serverless resources to AWS. So you build this Python web service. And it deploys Lambda functions for your uh, business logic, and then it takes all your routing that you build. You just write it in the Python code, yeah, just like you would in Flask. You decorate a function. Yeah, that functions. And the you handler. can run it locally too. You can run it locally, it, yeah. just like you're used to. But then when you deploy it, um, the routing gets deployed to an API gateway mm. in AWS, which routes requests to the appropriate Lambda function. And then from the API gateway, once it's in AWS, you can set up throttling and mm. token-based authentication and all of that in this managed service. And so it's like instantly super scalable, very very fast to deploy yeah. to production. Like you, 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 it takes like two minutes, and you have a uh, a web service that can handle millions of simultaneous requests as long as your your wallet can support it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, and so that's pretty cool. I've been using that for glue between it. It's just a really cool way to get publicly accessible 
web services and Jason Cannon's like out there and, and working on stuff. So. Yeah, that, it's you know it's really great for just handling requests and and that's kind of the thing where I wouldn't really want to use Lambda on anything that's super processor intensive. Yeah, and it gets expensive when you do that, yeah. right? Because yeah. it's the, basically anything that executes. <laughs> under 100 milliseconds mm-hmm. falls into the cheap bucket. Yep. And as it starts going up, it gets more expensive. So, you know, little API web requests like that, like that, where the actual processing time in Lambda is like sub 10 milliseconds sometimes, or mm-hmm. at least below 50, um, is like dirt cheap. Yep. Like even, you get a million for free from mm-hmm. AWS, and then when you cross that bucket, the next million's like 45 cents yeah. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I know. It's, it's like less than a dollar for yeah. sure. So yeah, there, you know, it's... And that's that's the way I think you know it, it should be used like that is when it doesn't really make sense to stand up a whole server to to just glue something together sure. like that that's not going to be doing any uh, any kind of real processing you know just yep. proxying the the request pretty much and that's all that's what I'm using it as like uh, as a dispatcher mm. so I'll have um, some monitoring tool or maybe something on a system that we're monitoring emit a single event Mm -hmm. to my uh, web service. Mm. And then my web service functions as a dispatcher that simulcasts it out to Mm. all of the different interested parties. So it Mm. might send an event to Opstini to alert someone. It might send some diagnostic logging to Elasticsearch so that we can graph it in in Kibana and have a dashboard Mm. um, that shows us that an event is is happening. Uh, And also uh, like a webhook to Slack to post a yeah. Slack notification and, and tag the on-call person or something like that. And so that's just a couple examples, but obviously the sky's the limit yeah. of, of how we can use it as a broadcast tool. Yep, yep. Limited by your imagination, largely. And your wallet. But, uh. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> uh, or as Hayden once put it, like it can go bigger than your wallet. Uh, yes, it will expand beyond that. <clears throat> but uh, it, it's pretty cool because um, you know with something like this, we're trying to minimize the impact of integrating it on the running service, mm-hmm. right? Like when you're when you're building something for app performance to monitor it. The last thing you want to do is by is by monitoring the app performance, you degrade the app's performance. You exactly. Know? And yeah. so we really want it to just be able to like blindly fire something out um, into a buffer that it doesn't have to wait to read to. Nothing that causes like an I/O um, blocking issue mm-hmm. in the application. And if it needs to go to ten different places and open database connections, we do that on the back end. Right. Uh, once once the apps fire that information, Does that, yeah, like you said, that shouldn't be the app's concern. Totally. I mean, from an, from an architecture perspective, that that minimizes the impact on the running application. Mm. So that's that's you know, again, you know, Ops Genie is something we're looking at. Also, um, just modern Elasticsearch and Elk Stack. Mm. Or, or Elastic Stack, as they call it now, because it's not just Elk anymore. Right? It used to be, you know, it was Elasticsearch, and then we had Elasticsearch, Logstash, Kibana. Now there's um, uh, TimeLion and a whole bunch of other tools in that suite. But we're using APM, mm. which is badass. Mm-hmm. It's it's application performance monitoring, like you would expect from. Uh, New Relic or Rollbar, mm-hmm. and it's totally open source mm. and it's badass. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of neat to uh, to look at, you know, like like our our higher lofty site. We were looking at it under that. Yeah, the marketing site. Yeah, and and, and just to see the stats 
on uh, requests and I'm uh, so proud of how well tuned that site. It's a Django Wagtail site, yeah. so it's uh, it's not the fastest thing, and it's not like it's written in GoLang or <laughs> or like or Java or something like that. However, um, you know, it's not WordPress, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it's a CMS, so it's got to go to the database to look up basically everything every time it serves a request. Yeah, and half like on on an average transaction we were looking at yesterday. Usually, about half of the trans- uh, transaction being like a request coming into it, um, half of the uh, time spent in a transaction is opening the connection to Postgres and RDS, <laughs> which is like fuck yeah, yeah, that's that's baller, you know, because yep. yep. uh, you can't optimize that. Like it, right. it's local traffic within AWS, and I guarantee they're doing it as fast as they possibly can. And then the other half is actually like rendering the page and, mm. and like querying data. Yeah. So yep. That's cool. Bragging we're, rights. We're pretty big, uh, pretty big fans of Wagtail. Wagtail's sweet. Yeah, I'm building another one right now. Another Wagtail. Yeah, another Wagtail site for for one of our clients. Nice. I, I jumped in to do a, a. They have a marketing site built in um, WordPress, mm. and they were like, "Please, please get us off of WordPress." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "What a noble cause! Yeah, <laughs> I will. I will dedicate right, well, marginal time in my nights and weekends to that cause." Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm building another Wagtail site out right now. And doing it, you know, you know how it is. Like in, in software development, you repeat a lot of the same tasks, mm-hmm. and when you do, you you do it better the next time than you did it last time. Absolutely, lessons learned, right? Yeah. And so now I'm 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 building out this new CMS, and it's like it's way better than ours. <laughs> and now I'm tempted to go back and do a rebuild. Of, ours, of, yeah. Not of any of the content, not of any of the right. of, of of nothing about the content layout or design of our current site. I love all that. I just want to go rebuild the guts underneath it because Wagtail stream fields are sweet. Mm. You've you've worked with Wagtail, yep. But I don't know if you did any custom stuff with the stream fields. I I didn't. Uh, other than you know, I've looked at them and I've done a little bit just with toy projects with it. But yeah, nothing nothing real extensive to really get to appreciate. Them. Did you did you use stream fields though? Uh, no, not not in. Uh, not for client work. Okay, so so the way they work, uh, and and for those uh, for our for our listeners, it's uh, stream fields. Uh, it's so we're talking about a Django application, but essentially it's a field uh, on a model. In this case, it's a page in your in your CMS mm-hmm. um, that lets you uh, stack a stream of content, like blocks of content. Yeah, and under right. the hood, it stores it in like a JSON field. Mm-hmm. But what happens is each individual component of that stream um, has its own rendering instructions and templates for it. Mm-hmm. So you can basically say like um, some of the components it ships with for free, for example, would be just like a rich text block. So if you like, if you're building a page in a CMS and you're building a content type and you have like the body of the page that's uh, has a WYSIWYG in it, paragraph, you know, bulleted list, that sort of stuff, basic CMS stuff, you can. You can do that directly and just have a body field that's a WYSIWYG, or you can use a stream field and you can add a WYSIWYG to the body and then potentially add another type of content to it. And then you can go define a template for that type of content. Wow. So, you, yeah. so you build this stack and then it just really handily renders that template for you on the page uh, and, and uh, generates the, the, the HTML uh, kind of dynamically, so mm. it's it's very painless to use. But ultimately, what you can do with that, which I didn't do on our site, but I'm doing on the new one, is actually build custom elements for the stream field that are um, designed components that fit the front end design of the site. Mm. So things like a 
hero image or a pull quote that's like a full width quote or something like that. Yeah. That when you're editing it, so you can go build a page and say, like from scratch, like, okay, well, this is going to have a title at the, at the top. And I might have multiple options for them that's like, this is a, you know, like a high impact graphic title. Uh, and then there's going to be a pull quote or a testimonial. And then there's going to be a, you know, a three panel feature uh, where you select, you know, everyone has the three icons, yeah. which is three services or whatever, yeah, with yeah. icon select and, and text. And so you can build them out and, and, and make like super composable pages that someone doesn't have to be a developer to get in and, mm. and edit. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. That's uh, that makes me want to go back and, and, and I, w- I went super factor ba- some code. Too, Our yeah. site's super basic. All the stream fields are like a WYSIWYG, Markdown and raw HTML. Yeah. So if I wanted to do anything custom, I Which, could, but I was just writing raw HTML into yeah. the into the CMS backend. Yeah, the Markdown's pretty cool. Like like for you know when we're writing a blog post and we want to do uh, code snippets. And, I had to, so I built that. That was yeah, custom, yeah, yeah. right? We, we have a Markdown renderer that mm-hmm. you write Markdown and it does it. But I integrated syntax highlighting into that, so that's actually all done in JavaScript in the template for that type of stream field gotcha. element. Uh, it doesn't do that out of the box. So, mm-hmm. but that's the kind of shit that you can do with it. Right, it's pretty right. cool. Yeah, I will link to Wagtail and yeah. its awesome stream fields in the uh, in the show notes. Yep, it is my favorite CMS. It's not really a CMS though. Yeah, that's you know because like, it's a CMS framework. Yeah, because one of the things that I think is really cool about it is like, what if I already have a, a Django app? And then I or a client decides like, well, it'd be really cool if we throw you know. Uh, uh, if we have a CMS in there, and uh, instead of you know having to maybe go and and stand up a whole new project, you can actually bolt Wagtail right into an it. existing project. Because the central like use case of a CMS and like sort of a, a primary concern of any CMS is a dynamic routing system. Yeah, like an end user without deploying any code needs to say when you go to this URL. Load this page, right? Which means that um, there has to be logic in a CMS that looks at the request as it comes in, and then goes to some data store, a database, and looks up what page is at that URL, right? Uh, and because of that, every other CMS solution in Django totally hijacks Django's routing system. Yeah. So integrating it with an existing project is like go into the admin and for the you know for the URL where you want your just regular web app stuff to go, like. Build some sort of hook system, and you have to like store all of your routes in a database. You don't have any like hard coded routing in the application like you're used to, right? Uh, but Wagtail doesn't do that to you. Yeah. Wagtail says, by all means, do all of your your static routing or, or or dynamic routing, but not like database dynamic routing. Yeah, in Django the way you normally would, and and then everything else gets caught and routed through the dynamic routing system for the CMS. And thus, it, it still feels like Django. You know, it, totally. it's, it's not really much of a paradigm shift to to get started with it. I've done it both ways. I've taken a Django project and app that's running, and bolted a blog onto it with Wagtail, no problem whatsoever. I've also taken a CMS and something that was totally dynamic, or or just a blog, built that in Wagtail, and then got to a point in building the CMS where I was like, I really need to go custom here. 
This isn't something that needs to be stored in the database. I need to build some custom, mm-hmm. you know, logic to to solve this marketing problem, right. um, and just bolted that right onto the side mm-hmm. of the CMS. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's not a plugin system. It's not like yeah. I have to go package that shit up in some weird way and work with the five hooks that have been presented to me. It's just get in there and write code and deploy it. It's awesome. Yeah, because you know, I mean, not everything needs to be editable. You know, right? And, and yeah. Some things, some things, by contrast, absolutely shouldn't be. Right? <laughs> this is true. Like, don't touch. You will break this. Yeah. There's a lot of that in the WordPress world mm-hmm. of like, I I updated a plugin and our company doesn't make money anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, uh, WordPress. It's ugly. Yeah. It's a blog. It's a blog thing. So Wagtail, not a. Um, not a CMS, but a CMS framework. It doesn't ship with any yeah, content types predefined. It's not like mezzanine. Yeah, you right, don't you right. don't like install it and then just start blogging and creating pages and stuff like that. Right, like the right. very you can't you can do absolutely nothing with it. When you <laughs> install it. The first thing you have to do is go create some data models that say mm-hmm. this is my page and these are the fields that are on it. But it's really like quick to get it into a place where you can uh, build dynamic content. Yeah, totally. Uh, I've. Uh, I've got one that I'm kind of working on on the side that I, I've taken some templates and and just kind of you know trying to take it as far as I can and and the those fields you were talking about uh, I think uh, will really help me be able to make everything in the template you know uh, customizable even if I don't know HTML yeah yeah you know? totally stream fields are sweet um, I, I, no one else that I know of is is doing anything like that in other CMSs although admittedly. I don't spend a lot of time looking mm. at the CMS world these days. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I avoid WordPress. <laughs> I know I'm sure WordPress is 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 attempting to innovate in some ways, mm. but I don't know if they're innovating in that way. It's pretty cool. Everyone uses yeah. like all kinds of plugins for WordPress to do page building in there. Yeah, gnarly. Yeah. We've seen some gnarly stuff. Yeah, you had something else that you had you had shared with me before we came in here, Alan. I did. You you, you had you had uh, you'd I, gone out there. You'd gone out there on the internet, and you 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 went and you read an article. I did. Uh, and now and then you had thoughts about it. I did. Uh, so this is uh, this is an article on CSS tricks, the Great Divide. Mm. Uh, two front end developers are sitting at a bar. They have nothing to talk about. Mm. Talking about the state of front end development. That's a really good way to phrase it. <laughs> like it. Nothing yeah. to talk about. Nothing to talk about. They they both use completely different tool sets, even though they they both work on the front end. So that's kind of the state of front end development these days. That was not the case uh, five not ten very years long ago. ago. I'm yeah. even shorter than that, probably. Yeah, right. Probably. I don't know. I'm getting old, and the years are blending. It maybe it has been five years. How yeah. long have we had like? Coffee script and TypeScript and things like that. You know, has that been ten years? Be- it probably has. I don't know how long it's been since it was like widely adopted. Yeah. All I know either. is, yeah, that's the thing now is people are like, oh, you do front end dev? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. Cool. There you go. Yeah. Do you use? <laughs> what use- do you use? Like, oh, uh, TypeScript. It's like, oh, I don't know anything about yeah. that. Yeah, I just use JavaScript. I use- or I use Coffee Script. I use Coffee too. Script. I'm on ES five. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on ES twenty nineteen revision seven uh, alpha. I'm using React. Oh, I like Vue. I like Angular. Mm-hmm. I, like, you know, yeah. Uh, there's there's well, and, and, and Yeah. What what does front end even mean, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, you know, at least for a time, uh, mobile development yeah. was a was a something com- completely different from front end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and now, uh, obviously, people are still building native mobile apps mm-hmm. in their native tooling. Um, 
for a lot of things, but so much of it is being done with React Native and and things like it, Ionic and Cordova, which have been around for even longer. Mm-hmm. But like, um, if you just need to build a list view, mm. you know, yeah. if you're just building cards and and storing data, which most applicant even on the in the web app side, not even talking about mobile, right? Like, most shit is just crud. Yeah, exactly. Just like I need to type shit in. Yep. And then I need to go home. When I come back tomorrow, I need to go read the shit that I typed in yesterday. Yeah. That's most software. And I might need to update it. Yeah. Or delete it. And yeah. That, and don't let them see my shit. Yep. You know. Yeah. But exactly. but specifically that person can like, yeah. you know, like access control and and that's most of software. It is. And most of that you don't you know you can do that in JavaScript and and deploy it to mobile. So right, right. I don't know what the actual stats on that are, but how many apps in in the are, in the app stores are actually written in like the native languages. You know, I wonder how you could even tell because somewhere under the hood, right? It, it's transpiling, yeah, and compiling that to to a bytecode somewhere. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know if if the app stores themselves can Would get that know, information. Right. But yeah, you know, I mean, the best maybe surveying developers and and, mm. and finding out. But yeah, uh, it, it's it's really crazy how much that's changed. It is. It Used is. To, it, here we go. Here we go again. Yeah, it used to be different. Uh, it did, but like you could, you know, uh, saying, "Hey, I'm a backend developer that does Python." Mm-hmm. Still today means largely what it meant then. Right. It might mean that you dabble a little bit more in data science or something like that. Yeah. Um, but like, you'd be like, "Oh, you do web stuff? Cool." So you're either using, you know. Django or Flask or mm. or Pyramid if you're Tosh and his company down there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's kind of about it. Plone and, and yeah. a few others. And but bottle like, way back, probably. So, so there's a few, but there's like clear front runners of like Django and Flask. Mm-hmm. And and Django and and there's an order of magnitude like mm-hmm. between those two things. Mm-hmm. Whereas in, in JavaScript, like it's so fragmented that it's it's super likely that you can work in the same field in the same industry building the same fucking application mm-hmm. like identical applications you can have the the front end for i don't know if they are but the front end for PagerDuty and the front end for OpSpeed the same app could very well like two front end engineers from those teams could sit down and look at each other like they were um, working on totally different things. Yeah, like like you were an unknown species, yeah, you know, like yeah. uh, what even is all that? You know, and, and back to like Django and Flask, for instance, even like even there, I remember, you know, there there's a clear distinction. Why do you use, uh, why do you use Flask? Like, oh, well, we use Flask because it's, you know, we're just kind of doing microservices maybe or something. We because don't I enjoy every- the pain of SQL <laughs> alchemy. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have every, you know, we don't need everything that, that Django is offering maybe or something like but there there there's kind of a logical reason yeah. behind it that even you know why am i using view over uh, react far more based that, on preferences yeah exactly than than, than Just totally cases. opinion yeah. i i like this one better than you know that and um and i've seen that um especially between like react and and view i i think you know i like i guess i one of the reasons i always tell everyone i i like view is because it reminds me of Angular One mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, and that's that's the first um, JavaScript framework that I actually did stuff with. Like that's that's <laughs> the first one I was interacting with an API, and before I even really knew what an API was, I didn't know anything about REST. Yeah, you know, it was just oh okay, yeah. So I mean, that makes sense. So I hit this URL and instead of getting the whole page. I just get the data I need, right? And then I will, Im, you know, inflate the page. Uh, with JavaScript like that, and uh, it felt you know it wasn't a total paradigm shift because you just have those uh, ng tags that you throw in your 
HTML, and then uh, I remember React coming on the scene, and that just JSX went, like be yeah. like yeah 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 it was, well it was crazy it I mean, was like, it yeah. was even even for someone that now it, now I put the DOM in my uh, in my JavaScript <laughs> yeah and and the, the whole uh, concept of of creating your own tags and things like that yeah uh, was was very bizarre as it came on but you know I, I can't speak um, on behalf of uh, well, anyone obviously, but but uh, certainly even more broadly or or, or or more more narrowly, front end developers because I'm I'm not hugely into front end work. Yeah. But a lot of the Angular developers that I've talked to anecdotally, um, or, or at the very least nostalgic for Angular one, if not like outright, that was when it was at its best, and then it just got worse from there. Yeah. Like, like changed the the paradigm, which that, is why a lot of people like Vue. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I remember the outrage at the time of of like Google's going to release a whole new Angular that's going to be completely different from the first one. So forget everything yep. that you know and get ready to learn a totally new framework. And then it became Ember, <laughs> or, or, or moved in that direction. A lot of people said, I don't know if that was Angular two or Angular four, and there wasn't an Angular three. We just yeah we dropped that. It's like P- Angular three is PHP six. <laughs> just said, ah, fuck it, we'll start over. Yeah, yeah, this one's nothing like any of the others. So. Yeah, and uh, you see, you guys out there in PHP and Angular land, you're doing it all wrong. You're supposed to do it the way Python did it, where you don't skip the version, you just launch it, and no one uses it for ten years. <laughs> <laughs> you just you just go, here's Python three, but you probably sh- shouldn't use it for a decade. Yeah, uh, that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, no, we're we're just now getting around to uh, Python three six should have been Python four by that measure. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. Or maybe three, four. I don't know. And we're and we're just now, you know, two. I, I forget what the it's two seven something, and that's that's the last Python two, you know, like, two seven twelve or two seven thirteen. Mm-hmm. It's getting up there. Yeah, yeah, but they're done. They're done. Even like, security updates. Mm, they may still do that. They have but, some, yeah, but they're not ones. actively developing it, which makes sense. I think twenty twenty is the official. Even LTS ends on it, mm. or something like that. Yeah, you know, I I, so. I, this is. I have all of the world's information. That's at true. My fingertips. We don't have to speculate. Yeah. What is the Python two end of life? Come on, Google. Ooh, there's a countdown clock. Oh, I was right. Twenty twenty, January first, twenty twenty. Python two seven ret- retires in in in. Uh, uh, That's coming up. <laughs> Less you than know? a year, yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty. You say twenty twenty, and and I think like, oh yeah, that would be plenty of time. But nope, that's that's no, that's uh, that's uh, next year. I got the counter in front of me. The years are at zero, which is cool. Nine months, nine days, six hours, and two minutes until Python two goes away. Uh, you know, that's it's it's good to remind myself of that because I was uh, uh, along with a lot of people, uh, pretty late adopter on Python three because you had to be because like none of yeah. the None of the dependencies supported Python 3. And we weren't going to do what the front-end developers were doing, which was just like, we'll just add 20 more dependencies that try and transpile everything to some common language. Yeah, um, yeah, which, yeah. Thank that, God we didn't. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I'm yeah. glad it went that way. But, you know, late, late adoption into it, we didn't even, like, really exclusively start rolling out Python 3 apps here at Lofty until 20... 17, maybe 2018. Maybe it was last year when we really... Yeah, really we were probably still supporting at least one Python two app until last year. Right when I came on, we were 
migrate. Well, that's we migrated one because because finally you had you had support for for all the libraries that you needed to do it. Um, so it's kind of crazy that it took that long. Um, but the uh, the, the thing that I, I I still forget I still mm. forget that um, that it's being deprecated because yeah. I used it for so long and and. I'm not necessarily that concerned about an app that's written in Python to him mm-hmm. um, until I see that timer. Mm-hmm. And I go, ooh, that's actually a big deal. Because I was looking at something yesterday. Mm. Um, oh, it was like yeah, that dashboarding right. framework yeah. part of this whole thing I've been working on. Right. I was going to, I was, I was like, I'm not paying $150 a month for Gecko board. That's insanity. I don't want a dashboard bill. Yeah. That's not for the data, it's just for the, it's just for the the fucking divs, you know. <laughs> like I'm not paying a bill for divs, right? Uh, right, right. And so I was like, all right, let's look at some open source dashboarding frameworks. And I found actually a really cool one for Python. Um, I'm gonna have to look in my history to figure out what it was. But, but it was in uh, Python too, huh? Yeah, I think it's called Tip Tipboard. Tipboard. Mm. Let me look it up. Tip. Where is Tipboard? Tipboard. Yeah. Uh, it was it was open sourced by Allegro, uh, Tipboard, and and it's it's pretty cool. Um, it's all push based, so it, it's written in Tornado. Ah, it uses yeah. Redis PubSub as a backend for it, and it has an API. And you define your dashboard, and you just push to the API, and so you can build. You know, I've got these Chalice services and stuff like that. I mean, it'd be an actual real time dashboard, not something that you're polling right. on a five minute interval or something like that, like like you get with Gecko Board. So mm-hmm. I was like all about it. But it, it's an old project. I saw it had commits within nine months. I was like, that's sweet, but it's still on Python too. Yeah. And I was like, I I will take up this noble cause. And so I forked it and I installed it under Python three and ran the two to three and did all the basic stuff and then like found out how many dependencies on this project had Python two dependencies. But they were pinned. So mm-hmm. I started upgrading dependencies and stuff like that. And then found out that like the the underlying Redis like low level client library that they were using doesn't have Python three support, mm. and then they released a version of it that did, but it doesn't have Tornado. So Tornado was three major versions behind, and it was just this whole mess. And then the, the very next thing I went through facing this impossible task of basically just rewriting this app from scratch, um, I, I I looked at it and said like, well maybe we could run dashboards in Python two. And then I saw that countdown, ah. and I my resolve was strengthened. Like no way, yeah, that is that is coming to an end yeah. uh, in 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 January. So, damn it, now I have to rewrite Tipboard. <laughs> Someone do it for me, please, please, yeah. please. It's really it's I, I basically I'm gonna have to build something from scratch, but inspired by this concept of a of a event driven mm-hmm. dashboarding system. Yeah, you know I I think I still think something with uh, maybe rethink DB or something would be kind of cool, like what we did with Gulliver. Yeah, but you know less specialized. An app that we built for uh, a local startup crawl event mm-hmm. uh, in which we had people. Uh, using SMS codes to check into locations, and we had a real time map at each of the locations where you could see Showed people where they checked in. see where people yeah. were checking in, and it was really cool. And RethinkDB was neat there. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's basically uh, a document store, but with it, a with a PubSub model. On top yeah, of it. exactly. WebSockets like built right in, so so you can open a WebSocket to the database and subscribe. On the front end yeah, and, and, yeah. You and subscribe then, to the table. Yep. And the, if something's written to the table or a row's altered, you get an event with the delta on it. Yep. That updates it, and then you know we um, we had a back end that uh, pushed you know proxy those uh, changes to it. 
like that. So yeah, it's uh, it's so really totally. I mean, like you couldn't get more real time. Yeah, exactly. and it wasn't like what you typically have to do with real time systems, which is like write something to your persistent storage, your database, and then at the same time also fire off some event. That is the event that something has just happened, and here's what's up there. You just yeah. wrote to the database, and by writing to the database, you all you concerned yourself with was writing consistent and persistent data, mm-hmm. uh, and your app automatically got pub sub notifications from it. Yeah, so you're still thinking in CRUD, you know, yep. just just uh, I need to push this to the database, and then it'll uh, it'll handle it. I say persistent, but it's one of those, you know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't. It was a toy app. It only needed to work for like four hours. Yeah, you know, it was for one one night if, only kind of deal. If I was storing the data, I'd still probably kind of do what we like to do with Elasticsearch and have a persistent storage in yeah, a SQL database, and so push to. You know, push to to Postgres, but then push to uh, uh, rethink DB, and have that kind of be you know to the to the front end. Yeah, because I just don't. I didn't do a lot of due diligence on it because we didn't need to no, for the yeah. for the nature of that app. But I don't know how bulletproof the persistent storage is, and I don't know how consistent and how how safe it is to write to it. I know. I'll I'll say this about it. So I locally was running it in Docker as I do everything these days. And um, you must have infinite hard drives. <laughs> <laughs> I do a lot of pruning. Yeah. Um, and uh, and and so I deleted that Docker Compose file, and I had I didn't think about it, but I had that guy restart always, and wow. so I had deleted the file, and I didn't think about it. I shut it down. I'm like, cool, whatever. And then I would fire it up, and then I'd do Docker PS, and I look, and I'm like, rethink, rethink DB. What's that still doing here? Yeah. And no, you know, I I couldn't quickly just track it down. And uh, was all the data still there? Uh, yeah, all those times. Yeah, yeah, it was it was like a zombie. So yeah. so I eventually had to stand up another. Um, well, I I did a, a, a wrote another Docker Compose file so I could change the uh, the the restart policy on it basically Got to it. never, and then I could shut it down. Uh, so yeah, I mean it was it was pretty pretty bulletproof, but that's you know local too, right? I mean. it, it it always just kind of scares me because I, I see something that's a document store mm. that's made for clustering and also like extremely fast like pub sub stuff, and I'm like, what mm. what corners did you cut? Um, what what critical parts of the cap theorem did you ignore? Yeah, uh, to to make it work this way, you know, like what. Which, which traits of MongoDB do you share? Um, That's a big those, part of it. Those kind of things always make me nervous. Yeah, because I mean, there, there's a bunch of you know, bunch of stuff that uh, a bunch of problems that they solved a long time ago. You know, making databases, relational databases, anyway, making them you know, ACID compliant and, right. and all that. And that, that's uh, those those are guys that were a lot smarter than me that did that, and they they didn't have Google or anything. They yeah. didn't have Stack Overflow to figure this stuff out either, you know. Yeah, and well, you know, the, the we we have the math, right? The, yeah. the, the cap theorem it, it's not necessarily bulletproof, but it it kind of tells you what trade offs you have to make, and mm. and the and the P in cap theorem is persistence, mm. right? And uh, a lot of people. Really sacrifice the persistent side of the cap theorem to maximize, you know, the the capacity and 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 performance. Uh, they yeah. replace the p. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, I think it's persistence. It could be performance. I'm gonna have to look at the camp theorem uh, again, but yeah. I, I think it's persistence. And, and so, you know, basically, it's it's like the, it's it's one of the classic triangles. It's like the project management triangle, mm. right? Um, fast, high quality, and cheap. And you can pick two, right? Uh, you can have fast and high quality, but it's not going to be cheap. You can have fast and cheap, but it's not going to be high quality. And you can have uh, uh, cheap and high quality, but it's going to take some time, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But like, like choose choose two of them, and the camp theorem is kind of the same way. Mm. Like, and so if uh, if you're maximizing for something that isn't persistence, your per- persistence is 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 risked, compromised. Yeah. You know. Um. But yeah, so so this article it's it's interesting um, that uh, as you're as you're scrolling along, it's got a lot of quotes and and things. But uh, yeah, the the big idea is is the great divide and and just how even in front end development now there's there's major divides that I guess used to you you could really think of as as being a back end sort of problem. Like, right. Well, I I use Rails. I use. Uh, I use uh, uh, Spring or I use uh, Django or Python, you know. Um, but now that has made its way to the front end as well because JavaScript is everywhere. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. It uh, it's 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 pretty crazy how that is. And like I, you know, we we complain about it a lot uh, mm. on this show, being <laughs> being being back end folks predominantly, and and. Um, I don't want to beat that horse too much, especially because Blake's not here to to catch the brunt of, yes, uh, of my wrath over yeah. it. But uh, man, we saw something the other day. I call I called Alan into my office. Like you got to see this. <laughs> we were looking at. Uh, I, I looked up that. I, I started actually using that Nightmare JS. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, thing that that Blake had recommended to do For some scraping, doing yeah. some web scraping mm-hmm. uh, because because uh, because the web doesn't work anymore. And you can't just speak HTTP at servers and get data. Um, often you need to render and run JavaScript and and uh, you, you know store you, cookies. You, and, yeah, you know. and and get bypass all kinds of like um, like captcha and like DDoS protection. All of it kind of depends on you running a browser these days. And so uh, I was I was getting nowhere with curl. Uh, and 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 curl derivatives, and so I, I spun up nightmare. And it's actually pretty cool. But in looking at it, a lot of people use it to run uh, front end tests, right. like you might use Selenium, right? Uh, and it's it is lighter weight; it needs you to use Selenium. But yeah. in the process, I, I I caught my first glimpse of some Mocha tests. Uh, uh, yeah, I had yeah, never looked we looking at. I had never I had never actually seen written out Mocha tests before, and I I was just looking at it and shaking my head, like, what have you done? Because it's this like API that serves no practical development purpose. It's like properties and methods layered on top of each other, so that you can write out a test in code that that reads um, in like a clever kind of way. Uh, is that is that a good description of it? I yeah, you know, I think so because it, it's hard to describe. Like, but. It, yeah. w- without me, just uh, I can I can pull up an example for for the people watching on the live could, stream. But yeah. I but but otherwise we're out, reading code outside online, of but... dictating code to the to the podcasters. You, you just have to go look up the syntax of a Mocha test. It, it's I guess it's so foreign to us because we we primarily use uh, unit tests, a library yeah. built into into Python, um, and and Django um, has you know bolted on. 
and, and those things are those things are in, inspired by J Unit and, yeah. and other stuff. Like they didn't invent the wheel. Yeah, which which because I had to look that up a while back. I was like, wait, set up, tear down. Why is that camel case? Mm-hmm. What is happening to my Python? And and look that up and and found that out that they they literally just wanted to to keep it as close as they could. Uh, and and so I guess they did a pretty good job. But yeah, so so with Mocha, it's like. You you have this if function. You have an if function. You have I, I found an example. Okay. I found an example for for the people watching. But yeah. this is in the um, Nightmare JS uh, documentation, which is where I saw it for the first time. And it's this. It's down here in this um, in this promise callback. Um, there's a Mocha test, which is uh, it's a function called expect. And you pass an object to it. Expect link dot two. Dot equal, which is a function that you pass the equality check to it. Mm. And, and I look at that code and I go, dot two means nothing. Yeah. That's just an object that's stuck in the middle there so that you can write the word two, you know. Uh, and and expect means nothing. The, it just yeah. takes a thing. Like, what happened to link double equal or triple equal? We're in JavaScript, right? But what happened to, we have an equality operator. Why does this involve... Um, yeah. Why, why does this involve a two two function calls and, and a needless property in the middle um, to check equality between two things? It's and I know that it's making an assertion. And in, mm-hmm. in Python, we can say assert yeah. thing equals other thing, right? Right. right. Um, but like, it's just it's it's a complicated programmatic API purely for the purpose of it reading cool or maybe not cool, but like English like. Which is something that Python gets a lot of flack for because it, because, and it, it's not engineered to do it that way. It's because you literally use the word and and you literally use the yeah. word or. We don't, we don't have a double ampersand operator in, in Python, um, but it, it kind of reads like prose. Mm-hmm. But this is like taking a C style syntax language mm-hmm. and then engineering the structure of your library and how its classes are, not for performance and not for, um, um, sanity and organization, but to make the to make it look like a, a prose like language, and it's just like, why? Why are you doing this? I don't get it. Yeah, it's gross. It scares me. I like to think Blake's laughing at us. He probably loud. is. Yeah. He's like these old men uh, <laughs> are just complaining, just dinosaurs about it. But like, I don't know. When I was a kid, we when I was a lad. Uh, we used to write code for the purpose of solving problems. Uh, this one. So I'm on the Mocha, the Mocha site looking at uh, examples, and I found one. Return db.find uh, type user should dot eventually dot have dot length three. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that man. is, yeah. And so what, what exactly does a should does the should function return? Yeah, what's that? What's that method like, doing? I, I I haven't actually looked at the un, the internals of like the Mocha library, but I imagine it being like like <laughs> the way the way it works almost like it'd be so convoluted that like it's all the derivative classes are like this is a verb infinitive and this is you know because it's like it's again it's written it's written like human language as opposed to yeah. programmatic language. Yeah, I'm curious what what uh, like what should has in there right because the way JavaScript 
is. I mean, it would just pass it. It's chaining. Yeah, it's just it's it chaining along. a bunch so it of method has calls. To do nothing. It's probably returning itself, right? It's probably yeah. it's probably yeah. an object that is mutating itself and returning itself, and it's using method chaining to do it. Mm. But then, then I saw there's the one the, the 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 first example that I showed that had that two, which wasn't a method, so it was expect. Mm. Dot two mm-hmm. dot blah blah blah, and yeah. so I don't know what two is, but it's it's probably just a container object that has you know equal underneath it and, and other things. Expect something to be greater than or something like that. There's probably a dot two dot b dot greater than because you can't just have expect greater than that. Just that doesn't look cool at all. Yeah. Am I, am I bitching enough about JavaScript yet? I said I wasn't going to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard not to do. Yeah, we miss you, Blake. Uh, uh, yeah, uh. <laughs> you're not here to defend it, and so uh, I'm going to call upon Blake to defend Mocha Tests when he when he comes back. Yeah. Remind me, Alan. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'll probably remember it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, well, and you know that could be a topic sometime. We uh, we talk about Blake uh, defends Mocha Tests. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would, you know, that would, that is a good topic. To, I'm, I'm calling it like now. Unit testing. Unit testing in JavaScript versus unit testing in Python. I yeah. would, I would enjoy that. Yeah. I would um, too. Cause I've often wondered, or just testing in general. Yeah. I was going to say, even integration testing, functional right. testing, yeah. you know, nightmare versus selenium, so mm-hmm. on and so forth. Cause I'll, I'll tell you right now, um, having not done much functional testing in JavaScript, but mess with nightmare a little bit and having used selenium a lot in the past, like, Clear advantage towards nightmare. Selenium kind of sucks by web driver sucks by comparison. Yeah, yeah. You know that's uh, that is the attractive thing that that I could see about nightmare JS for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't have to download Chrome. But to come come on, if you guys want it, your test suite to read like pros, just come write Python code. And uh, you know you get some of that. Yeah, uh, that's not, where we get gnarly with our uh, with our method naming. This? Nah, not as bad as like. See, that's what Ruby does as well. I don't know if, yeah. if you recall from from talking with Alex when he came to talk about Ruby, but the whole like you know, variables can end with uh, uh, question marks and stuff like right, that. So yeah. you can, yeah, yeah, you guys, yeah, just write the code. And, you know, I and I like to pick on other other languages and and, but it's fascinating though, really, to me that the decisions you, you know you see the decisions that people. Uh, made along the way. This will be like this because well, and 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 I think that this this maybe is is what brings it full circle for for um, you know the great divide. The the, the article that you had mentioned of, of two front end developers sit down and have nothing to talk about, mm-hmm. and it's things like this, mm-hmm. which like that syntax and how that library structure has absolutely nothing to do with the language right. and absolutely nothing to do with right. the work. Right. It's just like. Every library is so massively esoteric to the way that library does things, right? Um, like, like comparing uh, React and Ember, yeah. right? Like, what what do you have in common if you, if you're an expert in yeah. either one of those? Solving the same problems, yep. right? Ultimately, the output's the same. Yeah, it's, it's it's generating markup and and CSS, but you're still doing UX, you know, UX work, and but. But uh, one has handlebar templates, and the other one has a virtual DOM. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's uh, it, it's 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 really kind of crazy. But uh, I don't know. I don't I don't I don't claim to get it, and I'm not saying it's wrong. No, uh, I mean no, we're we're exactly. building cool software. Like no, don't don't get me wrong. Uh, but it is it is kind of um, it, it's kind of crazy the the idea that 
that things can be so different from one developer to the next, one project to the next, one company to the next. Mm-hmm. Um, that like, I, I think that you could probably be a senior engineer at company A and go to company B and be like as productive as a as like a, an entry level developer over there if you weren't familiar in front end with with all the tooling. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like if you had to write Mocha tests, obviously you can learn libraries and stuff like that. But the thing is, going from one project to the other, it's not like oh, I've got to go learn a new library because I changed positions. It's like I got to go relearn how to build front end. Yeah. I got to go relearn forty five different dependent libraries to build systems over here, and so. You know, common tooling is important. I preach it a lot over here at Lofty. Um, common tooling, especially in like in project work, like we do, mm-hmm. like it's what makes it so that if someone gets sick or takes a vacation, like someone else can step in and work on it. It it makes it so that when you get stuck on something, you can turn around to your teammates and everyone else has some baseline of, of shared knowledge. On yeah, it. you can scale horizontally. Yeah, right. And 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 I'm sure front end teams within organizations have have their common tooling, but but like yeah. like in our world and on the Python side, common tooling is portable from this Python shop to the next Python shop. But I think that's what that article is getting at: as common tooling is not portable. From even one project to the next within the same company. Yeah. On, yeah. on, on the front end side. Yeah, exactly. And and uh it's interesting there, you know, there's there's kind of a trend of uh companies that are are just hiring JavaScript developers that you know, because even these days knowing JavaScript doesn't mean you're a front end developer. Sure. Even at all. Sure. You know? That's that's something else I didn't even talk about, right? Is mm. is the idea that um, there is such a thing as people who write nothing but JavaScript all day every day, and they're also back end developers. Yeah. yeah. I write I write Express apps. You know, mm-hmm. um, I write a lot of Mocha tests. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's 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 that's that's totally the 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 reality. That's another kind of aspect to it. So saying I'm a JavaScript developer doesn't mean much it means something, but it's not very specific. It's quite a broad thing. Yeah, compared to, to I guess ten years ago, I don't even think you could have said I'm a JavaScript developer. I was just like, yeah, we all are. Yeah, I'm also an HTML developer yeah. and a jQuery developer. I, I was going to say that's I, the only that's how the web jQuery, works. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, not anymore. Yeah, that uh, and and uh, I will bring bring up like so they have a comparison here uh, with with maybe you know a front end developer. Years ago, and then like today, like and on this side of today, React, Next.js, Apollo, GraphQL, and on this side, Interaction Design, SVG, CSS, SAS, yeah, WordPress themes, Light jQuery, yeah, <laughs> I know a little jQuery, yeah, and uh, and then back to now, Webpack, uh, you know, JS architecture, um. And Webpack, man, that's that goes deep. Yeah, yeah, it does. Deep, deep, deep. Blake's got a great talk. I'm, I'm sure it's yeah. out there somewhere in in the in the in YouTube's uh, deep in the archive or something. that's online. I'll have to ask him for it. But great talk on how Webpack works. We kind of take it for granted because it's used so much, but it, it makes a lot of sense. But it's also kind of surprising how it works. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll, I won't give any spoilers, but it turns out it's written in JavaScript, uh, <laughs> and it does some. I, I, it's not that bad. It's no. not that bad, but it it does some. Um, I guess I imagined it being a little more sophisticated. I mean, it's just 
It's mm. just slamming. It's just concatenating bites. It's just catting stuff together, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know what I expected it to do, yeah. but it does that, and apparently it does some tree shaking in there. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, learn. We learned that word this year. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool, man. Uh, I think we held it down decently for for no Blake. For, uh, yeah, we 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 beat mercilessly on JavaScript without him here to defend it, and uh, that's that's what happens when you're not here, Blake. Yeah. That's what happens when you leave us to to talk. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to go outside and absorb some of this newfound sunshine, thanks to yeah. uh, government meddling with uh, time zones. So, uh, <laughs> I think uh, I think spring's here. All right, we'll see you guys in a week. Thanks for listening to Friday Afternoon Deploy, recorded and produced by the team at Lofty Labs. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe to future episodes via iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. You can also follow at Friday Deploy on Facebook and Twitter for episode previews, live streams, and other behind-the-scenes peeks. Past episodes and show notes on this episode can be found at friday.hirelofty.com. That's friday.h-i-r-e-l-o-f-t-y.com. If you'd like to contact the show, or if you're local to the Northwest Arkansas area and would like to be a guest on the show, you can email us at podcast at higherlofty.com. <laughs>